welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Welcome, everybody, to The Near Memo. And this week, I'm excited to uh, introduce Aaron Wyke, who's our special guest filling in for the fill-in-the-blank adjective you want to use to describe my <laughs> the always... <laughs> Uh, relevant, irascible, yet witty, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, I, have, I, have, I have big yeah. shoes to fill. Yeah. Aaron's graciously stepping in for Mike, and uh, David Mim is here as always, and we talk about um, the big news of the week with uh, search, social, and commerce, although we're not going to be talking about Facebook today. Um, it may sneak in at the margins, but we're not going to be talking about it as one of our three items. Uh, Aaron is going to lead off um, our discussion today, but uh, before he does, for those who are unfamiliar with Leadferno, um, I want you to just say a couple of words about it. And this is not a sponsored uh, slot, by the way. We just want to <laughs> add some context to Aaron's. But it might be who, later on. Yes, yeah. we will. Go, we'll, yes. So, save your ad budget for later. In the <laughs> right. yeah. It's just a human interest story right now, right? What's, Precisely. Exactly. And, and, and Aaron, is the co- right. Aaron is the co-founder and CEO, so uh, take it away. Great. Thanks for that opportunity. Uh, Leadferno is really about helping businesses create more conversations with their prospects and customers using SMS and a web-to-text widget. Uh, so we just launched uh, a handful of weeks ago. Um, we're primarily working with SMBs in the home services spaces um, and professional services uh, and putting a lot of focus on working with agencies, SEOs, local SEOs and digital marketers to help shore up uh, what they're doing for conversion. We, we see them do a ton for customer acquisition and traffic building, uh, but not as much focus on conversion. So we're trying to fill that void by just making it easy for consumers to start asking questions and text with the businesses they're interested in working with. And just as an aside, this is a, it sort of dovetails with one of the themes of my White Spark presentation, uh, White Spark Local Search Summit presentation. I just feel like there's so many businesses and agencies both that are focused on all of this, like, you know, pre, <laughs> pre-interaction marketing, right? Like SEO is largely before you actually get the conversation and social media and advertising, everything is geared around pre-conversation. And I feel like there's a real, gap in the market that you you've obviously seen as well in terms of helping helping businesses actually convert uh those leads once once you've done all that hard work to get them to your to your site or your gmb profile or facebook page or wherever so what's also interesting i would just add a couple of things what's interesting also is that um you know businesses that are most responsive respond fast are often the ones that capture the leads and then in a conversation you can kind of compress the funnel you know you can go from somebody who's kind of just doing exploratory research to converting them if you, you know, give them the right information. And that's a lot easier to do in a conversation than it is on a website even. Even even video doesn't really respond to their individual questions in most cases. So I think it's a really great and complimentary tool that, you know, people need to use. And um, anyway, so... There you go. But Aaron, I'm, you didn't come here to talk about se- Where's the segue, Greg? The segue is you I, didn't come I, here to talk about Leadferno. There was plenty of setup there. You didn't, you didn't come here to talk about Leadferno. You came, you're, you're talking about um, a, a new launch from Squarespace, which is pretty interesting and didn't get a lot of attention in the media, although I'll probably do something about it in our newsletter. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, just a, a few weeks ago in the end of September, Squarespace 
made an announcement. They kind of wrapped up a a bunch of different feature pushes and kind of titled it Everything to Sell Anything. Uh, I think one of the the high-level things that they really communicated is uh, through a Harris Poll uh, survey that they conducted, they found that the majority of people looking to launch businesses was around uh, conducting classes, advice and consulting and and tutoring, selling time and and selling expertise. Um, So with that, one of the things that they rolled out uh, was uh, rounding out their scheduling tools even more. Earlier in the year, I think they acquired a talk that was around uh, restaurant reservations. That's and, for restaurants. Yep. Yep. Yes, and management and stuff like this. So this kind of uh, rounded that out and also enabled them to do like uh, content gating for those selling uh, video and other uh, privatized uh, content that they want to get out there. They also had an Etsy integration. So not only can you sell on Etsy, the platform, but you can bring your Etsy products into your own website. So I saw this as a great stair-step approach to, you know, Etsy helps you find that audience and get out there. And then when you take the next step and you have a Squarespace site, now you can bring your products into your uh, own brand and own sales experience as well. And then the the piece that really caught my eye is they rolled out something called their studio app. Um, and it's all around making uh, pro-level content videos. So uh, a lot of different effects, making editing easier. They even have some AI-driven uh, voiceover options that are in it. Uh, so you can see here, they're really tailoring that to help with the promotion to drive traffic to Squarespace sites. Um, and uh, I find it interesting in listening to your guys' weekly shows, you know, they really highlighted and how great that is for social media promotion. You guys have often touched upon like, that's like the, the shiny object that small business seem to gravitate towards and putting in time and effort, even though the results might not always, um, you know, come out with the amount of effort that puts into it. But to me, this just hits upon something that I've long preached to small businesses in the world of content. Words are hard for them. Photos are hard for them. Videos even harder. Um, and so I think this is, you know, a, a step in a good direction to give them better tools to create better content visually. One, one thing that's pretty interesting, MailChimp did something this week. It's kind of analogous. It's, it's more narrow. They introduced a, um, a content, I think they call it content optimizer. It's really an email, um, you know, sort of AI-driven best practices built-in email tool that helps business, small businesses, um, you know, pick the right images, headlines, and so on and so forth. And it's 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 thematically tied into this because you know what we're seeing is that these companies that um, you know host websites or do these sort of primary marketing functions like email are are now using machine learning and AI to to automate a lot of these processes or to really support small businesses in a way that they would otherwise not be capable of. And, you know, there's, there's, there's long been a sort of a gap between self-service and, you know, a lot of companies come out and they say, Hey, we've got this great self-service platform and nobody uses it or people don't develop sufficient expertise, but the, but AI is now sort of bridging that and, and baking a lot of, a lot more, um, guided support or simplicity into these tools, I think, yep. which is, Sug- which is suggestions to get better. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's long been on the roadmap from, from, for a lot of companies, um, from the past, but it's really now just starting to kick in in a meaningful way, I think. For sure. I was going to say, Aaron, it, it struck me as interesting on a couple of levels. Um, number one, we talked about Wix, you know, a couple of weeks ago on the near memo, and this seems like it's really geared at a lot of would-be 
Wix uh, customers who are, you know, in the very early stages of starting up a consulting business or an online class business. And um, not only is the output of a Squarespace website uh, much more beautiful and user-friendly, but the the configuration interface of Squarespace is, I think, very, very user-friendly relative to Wix and 100% more user-friendly relative to WordPress. Um, and so I think that you're seeing Squarespace maybe start to, you know, try to take a little bit more um, market share from some of these, you know, very early sort of nascent businesses, many of which are not captured in the traditional, you know, 30 million U.S. business type numbers that, that we were talking about in the in the Wix discussion. So sort of a way for them to almost expand their their total addressable market, which is which is really interesting. And I also think that the the service businesses of the world tend to get sort of second shrift from a lot of SaaS companies, most especially Google My Business, which has been just historically abysmal at not only surfacing, you know, service oriented businesses, but also displaying features that that customers of those businesses would care about. Um, and so I think it's a really interesting place for for Squarespace to be playing. Yeah. Imagine that somebody actually going down market these days instead of up market. Right. So, that, yeah, I definitely found that interesting as well. Do you guys remember what was Wix's user base? Because I think I read in this Squarespace has 4 million subscribers is what they put out. How do they yeah, compare Wix, Wix was massive. I mean, they had they had a, a smaller subset of paying subscribers, but they had a massive, massive installed base. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, We, re we read between the lines. I want to say we ended up at 6.5 million actual paying customers. So Squarespace okay. is, you know, approaching that number if, the, if yep. those are, if those 4 million are paying. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think you're, I think you were right on that number. I was trying to find it, but I did not find it in time. And so David, <laughs> um, one of the, one of the more uh, curious items of the week was a story that appeared originally in The Verge having to do with Google's um, antitrust case against the DOJ or the DOJ's antitrust case against Google. They're now in discovery. It was filed in October. It's been a year. They're doing, uh, starting to do depositions, document exchanges. And Google has been trying to get documents from Yelp, uh, largely unsuccessfully from what we gather. And in particular, they're seeking documents for one of Yelp's executives. And uh, you want us to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, so Luther Lowe, their VP of public policy, I think is his title. He's basically there. He's Yelp's number one lobbyist and sort of gadfly in the Google antitrust ointment. Um, I think all three of us have interacted with him on occasion at, at previous conferences, um, though I don't know that any of us you know, considers him a friend. So I don't feel like we're sort of speaking out of school here. Um, well, Certainly I would say relative. I would say I have a friendly relationship with Luther. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, sure, but it's not he's not he's not somebody that you know we. Interact I don't with have him right here, basis. for example. He's not right. hanging out with me. We don't meet him up, meet up with him for a Zoom beer during COVID, you know, anything like that. So, yeah. Um, so having said that, there was just a couple of things that struck me about this. Uh, I, you know, I I am not a lawyer, Greg, and I'm hoping that you actually speak for most of this segment, uh, given your your legal background. But some of the requests that Google made in the which they published um, in the in an appendix of the actual complaint or whatever it's called. It's motion to just, compel. Motion yeah, to compel. just incredibly broad. And um, even if they, even if the requests, even if the documents related to those requests were not made public, the damage it would do to Yelp, you know, beyond the outcome of this case, for Google to actually know all of that information about one of its main competitors in local was just shocking to me. So. 
um, things like, you know, a list of enterprise customers and what's your SEO strategy and like incredibly detailed, like corporate strategy documents and, and emails. And it just strikes me. I mean, some of this stuff obviously, you know, is, is, um, worthwhile and, and, you know, worthy of them to request, uh, from Yelp. But I, if I'm looking at this as, as with a sort of, with a side eye view of, okay, what are the possible outcomes of this case? One possible outcome is Google actually wins the antitrust case. They're found not to be a monopoly. And they then subsequently put Yelp out of business with the information that they're seeking from Yelp uh, in this filing, which is just totally insane to me. And um, if there is such a thing as an anti-slap uh, proceeding in, a, in an antitrust case, I hope that Google has to pay Yelp's legal fees to defend these some of these document requests, which are just totally absurd to me. So, well, as a, as a general rule, um, you know what tends to happen in litigation, and it's been many many years since I did civil litigation. But um, you know, lawyers ask for everything, right? Everything that they can think of. They want to get their hands on any potential piece of evidence, anything that may be damaging to the to the opposition or relevant. And relevance is supposed to be the guideline. And, and, you know, often you'll get defense lawyers who will stonewall and say, no, we're not going to give you these documents. And then you have to go and, and, and ask the court to compel the, just the, uh, the disclosure of the documents. And you have to prove that the documents are relevant to the case. And, you know, clearly in that kitchen sink request, which I agree was really overly broad, there is some relevant information about how was, Yelp harmed potentially by Google's behavior, you know, and they want to see those internal documents to see if Yelp's current position in the market is a byproduct of things that Google did or, you know, whatever, internal mismanagement or bad decisions, whatever it is. Um, so I suspect there'll be some mix of, of granting and denying the motion, but I agree with you. It's, it's so broad um, as to really seek you know, it's, it's, they're asking for everything, you know, all your strategy documents, all your financial information, so on and so forth. So, um, right. And again, I think from my standpoint, like the, 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 the likely outcome of this case, I think just given the sort of dysfunction in Washington is that Google is not like Google gets maybe a slap on the wrist. And as a result of a lot of these documents that they're asking Yelp to disclose, they actually become stronger after the case, which is just an absurd yeah. conclusion to all of this antitrust, yeah. anti-big tech uh, sentiment. So, Well, I mean, the interesting question is who's driving this? Is it purely the lawyers or is it somebody sort of managing the litigation within Google? Um, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I agree with your assessment is, is that this material is pretty damaging to Yelp if it all comes out. So the, the well, strategy—it's not necessarily—it's da not necessarily damaging to Yelp, you know, in a, in a vacuum, but it's damaging in the hands of Google for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. So Aaron, the strategy, say something. yeah, the the strategy is an overreach, and then they end up just being able to get a little bit, and all they really want is just to figure out is what we were doing before actually working at grounding you, because then we can just push that ten times harder to make it actually come to complete fruition. Yeah, and and you you really exactly. get this you do get the sense that there's some 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 uh, animosity here driving some of this. It's not simply a neutral uh, neutral like, hey, we need these documents to prepare our case. I mean, in fact, the the as you characterized it, the ad hominem sort of attack, the the focus on Luther Lowe is has a personal quality, literally and figuratively, in the sense that 
Luther Lowe has been instrumental in, um, you know, bringing these actions about both in Europe and in in the U.S. And Google is mad as hell about it, you know. And I think that they're they're this is some payback on some level, you know, which is not pretty. And um, and uh, one of the things that yes, yeah, maybe yeah. put Yelp in a difficult position. <laughs> yes, is 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 the is the uh, Google local results, the local pack, and uh, the way in which Google has dominated the you know the page one of, of of local search results for the last whole bunch of years, right? And uh, organic links have been pushed down the page, and so on and so forth. But that's not what we're going to talk about. I wanted to talk about how I I feel that the Google uh, local pack and map pack has sort of run its course. That the that the that the display of results is is really no longer that functional or useful for consumers. Um, you know, you if if you're looking for directions, if you're looking for phone numbers or contact information, sure. But if you're trying to do a category search and make a decision um, about a, a home services provider, it doesn't really help you all that much. And I think Google has other tools at its disposal to give consumers a better experience. And this gets into the question of what is Google doing? Is Google simply handing people off to businesses and then, you know, you have the, the lead for no conversational interaction? Or is Google actually trying to help you make a decision? Um, and if they're trying to help you make a decision, really serving the end customer, then they need to deliver a lot more information, you know, either in a kind of carousel format with a rollover that expands or some alternative. They need to really do some alternative to what they're doing now. This was prompted by the um, discovery that um, somebody made. I don't remember who it was. Joy Hawkins retweeted it, that they were testing a five pack, um, you know, and they test two packs and 10 packs and five packs and so on and so forth. But um, it just got me thinking that, you know, five versus three versus seven doesn't really do anything. You know, it doesn't really help me. It just gives me more names. But if you really want to help me, give me more information, give me more, you know, the stuff that they're doing with attributes and posts and, um, you know, the, 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 the booking tools, give me, give me that at a higher level is what I'm, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And disagree. I don't disagree. No, I don't disagree. I think, um, to not to force a segue back to last week's episode, but, um, one of the things that I think is profoundly missing from the pack results, which is very present in, uh, business, Google business profiles themselves is photography. Um, yep. that is just not present in the primary yep. search results. And I've, you know, whatever, those of you know, I'm the sort of founder emeritus of the Google tinfoil hat society. But I think that if there were photography in an organic result, that it would take loads of clicks away from Google's paid properties. And that that's one of the reasons we haven't seen it. But if you, th at least if I think about similar search experiences that are pleasing and easy and, and, you know, in, enhanced decision-making, one of my favorites is Airbnb, not a dissimilar map on the right-hand side with photos and descriptions down the left. And it's very, very quick using the map if you have sort of you know location preferences and if not then just a very very quick scan of photography and headlines down the left and something closer to that i think would actually be a better user experience better searcher experience but would potentially put a lot of google's local ad revenue at risk so well, well they do some of that with hotels i mean it's it's not it's not that dissimilar um, but in L hotels, in the they're taking a cut of every transaction with hotels, which they at least currently don't yeah. do in standard GMB profiles. I th are there no free listings in hotels? I don't remember. 
my, I think you have to be on an OTA to in order to be present in Google hotels, but someone and, the, and they're going to take SEO a commission every time that. Yeah. But, but, um, LSAs have pictures to your point, but those are paid. Right. And they're, and they're, you know, the picture is useful, useful. Um, Aaron, your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, to me, when I look at it from a macro level for the last decade, the local pack has been about reduction, the number of results that are in it. Um, the number of things that you can do from it, right? We see constant testing all the time, reducing CTAs down to even just a phone call. You have to click into a result to get the website and, and things like that. So at, at some point, you've just reduced it down so far, and it does seem really prime for, all right, let's completely go back to the drawing board because the way we interact with the web, the options that are available, all of the other things that they have, you know, tested at length, especially the ones like you're citing where Google actually has skin in the game to want that interaction engagement more than a click on anything ad-based. They, they understand these things more and the type of content that, that you know, really drives it. So it, it does seem silly at this point with all that's on the table and how like little this has moved um, in certain directions, not to, not to try something completely different, try a revamp and just put put more effort and experience into it than, yeah. than what they have done. To your point, Greg, I mean, it, the, the visual hasn't meaningfully changed since 2008 or whenever they introduced the 10 pack, right? It's a map and essentially a, a business name with a link on it. And if you think about how much more rich information Google has about businesses in just about every category than they did when they started in 2008, it was a feed from Info USA or whatever. You know, the, the, the interface has not caught up with the richness and depth of, of the information available to Google. So, I, I mean, the interesting question is, do they have, a, do they have an incentive to, to do this kind of radical redesign? Because they're unchallenged. And if your theory is correct, that it would detract from clicks, then clearly they don't want to do that. I mean, it, it, they, 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 don't, they don't have to change, but if they are truly committed to a better user experience, they would, they would start, doing, start doing some new, new experiments that would be pretty dramatically different. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the time to really do that because we're, this is stale at this point. Yeah. And to David's point with the, the visual interaction, as we've seen for so long, like review stars have become the visual attraction and interaction of, of all these listings. And, you know, that Google has used that to put itself completely in a whole nother stratosphere as far as review volume, um, what that matters to businesses, all, all of those aspects with it. Uh, but at, at the same time, there's just so much more for that a consumer wants to uh, consider and should understand uh, and and might be looking for besides just reputation. But yet that really is the number one visual force in the map pack. Well, and it's even the case that now, you know, reputation by itself is not enough because, you know, there are a lot of businesses that are clustered in a, in a pretty tight, you know, four plus 4.5 plus range. And so you really can't differentiate among them in, in that in that way anymore. And, you know, you need other information, um, which you, you know, which is now kind of not readily accessible at that level, you know. I mean, yeah. I would ideally want give Google to give me, you know, I would be, you know, Google has Google screened and they have all this additional information. I would be happy for them to really do a first take on who are the three best businesses in this category in my area. 
you know, and let me see others if I want to go deeper. But, but, you know, really bring all that information to bear and give me, give me the best three, not don't just give me a list that's sort of superficially ranked by, by reviews. I've been, I've been lobbying for an icon that just says you can text us and they get that information from Leadferno, but I'm not getting anywhere with that yet. (laughs) Well, no, but that's, that's that's really part of it, right? If I text these guys, are they going to respond? Absolutely. That would factor into a decision. Yeah. I mean, all things being equal, somebody who responds quickly is going to get the business. Yep. And, you know, because they have better service and they're more eager to do the job. And not only that, someone who doesn't require me to pick up the phone. That's a huge differentiator. If I can conduct an entire transaction through SMS or email, like you've got my, you, you, you're 70% ahead of your competition. Um, so I think that that's like, it's, it's, we're sort of half joking about this, but I am absolutely not joking about a business's willingness to conduct business outside of a phone. I think that that is a major decision point for a lot of people under 45 years old. You, yep. you have to you have to give people multiple ways to talk to a business and you, you, you can't you know, the phone is often a really bad experience these days, man. I love but, I love what you guys are saying. I'm going to use this recording elsewhere for my own purposes. <laughs> now that you, you will have to pay us for you have to license. Yeah, all right. A, a, yeah, a license, a license fee with a with a recurring royalty. Uh, anyway. So, Aaron, it's been great to have you on the program. We'd love to have you back. We'd love to do maybe a special a discussion with you about lead for known texting and small business. Cause I think there's a lot there that's interesting. And, um, you know, as always, thanks for listening and we'll welcome Mike back next week. I think Mike is back next week. Mike is, is back right? and I'm gone. So it's going to oh, be you're gone? another mystery guest coming up. Oh, on okay. So we'll have another mystery. We'll have another mystery guest or perhaps Mike and I will just rant at each other about, <laughs> about Facebook. Or something. It'll be our number, number one downloaded episode ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So anyway, um, thanks a lot. As always, uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Give us feedback. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.